Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to our episode, this time the spoilers version, which we are all a lot more excited for, not that the other one wasn't thrilling, Um, but we did want to invite back Leia and Chrissy. Thank you for having us. Surprisingly, they stuck around. (laughs) <laughs> oh, they wanted they wanted to be here for the tea. That's what it was. But this is our spoiler section, so we will be spoiling everything for all of Buffy as well as the show Angel. So if you do not want to know spoilers, have not watched either of those shows, then we highly recommend not sticking around. Um, but we also recommend coming back after you have watched them because this is going to be good, I promise. So yeah, let's get into it. All right. Do you guys just want to like – Hop right into the juicy stuff, or do you want yes. to ease into it? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Then let's talk about Spike, since yes. that's what we're all here for. So Spike has a wonderful blend of evilness and comedy in the first season like that he's in, and in, in this episode as well. It works very well in small doses for me personally, and I think for the show as well. I think they're able to do it for a little bit in season four, um, but about halfway through season four and for the rest of the show, it's almost like they are not really sure what to do with him, and it becomes a little bit hard to balance the comedy and the lack of bite <laughs> that he has. Um, and I feel like this episode in particular is kind of like the perfect blend of Spike in the sense of the comedy versus the evilness because he's only here for one episode. They could not have sustained this for an entire season. Um, but I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are with Spike particularly in this episode in comparison to how he is in the later episodes or the later seasons. I mean, I disagree. I know that I probably have very, not very, but different opinions than a lot of you guys when it comes to Spike. I really love Spike Spike, Spike as a character. Um, And I think that he definitely, I'm not going to argue that he doesn't have some inconsistencies because I do think that when it comes to Spike's writing in the show, they did kind of fall in love with the character so much that they kind of bent some of the rules for him um i'm not saying i don't love it but i'm do saying that i acknowledge that it's there um but i i really think that spike in this episode and throughout most of the show is just such a complex and interesting character and i think that this episode is one of those episodes i really believe that this episode is one of the reasons why Spike came back in season four and ended up staying and all that was because they saw just how much Spike really shook the foundation of the characters of Buffy and how much he could just cause conflict and stuff like that to rise just by being himself. Um, And I'm glad Spike was in the majority of the show because I think he did kind of ruffle feathers in good and bad ways. Um, But I think that he created a lot of really interesting storylines. 
He did bring in a lot of the idea of really complex, convoluted gray issues in the later seasons of the show. Do I like how they addressed a lot of that? Probably not. It's hard because it's like you watch this and you're like, this is prime Spike. And this is what I enjoy about Spike. And I enjoy him in season four. And I like some parts of him in season five. Hate him in season six. And then like, it's hard because it's like the nice stuff about Spike in season seven is just tainted for me because he's, and we've talked about this before. I'm not just talking about seeing red. I'm talking about how the show handled what happened in seeing red with Spike's character after that. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've given my opinion on this so many times, but it's just like they made him so much of the victim in season seven. It was like everything all on him. And they, I think they realized that like, Oh, our fan favorite did something that we weren't really understanding what the consequences of us writing that in our script would do. So we have to kind of like mend it and make him seem like he's trying really hard and he's like changing, but then it's like Buffy has to console him. And then all of a sudden he's the only person in the world that Buffy can rely on. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm confused. So I think that his, the way that he handles characters is very frustrating. I love how James interprets him. I think he's really enticing and it's really interesting. And I think it's really frustrating to see how they kind of decide to execute him because it's like there's so much potential and there's so much that could have been done, in my opinion, and how they did Spike. I'm not an anti Spike person or whatever. Um, I just think it's very frustrating to see how much romanticizing of him that this generation has. And this is coming from somebody who's in this generation. So it's not like I'm just like in this generation, just crapping on them. But it's like, it's because he's charming and he's fun and like, and like all these things and he's romantic. But it's like, I think we, and they can kind of hide behind the whole, oh, but he still doesn't have a soul in a lot of situations. He's just very frustrating. And I feel like it's hard to sit here and talk about him as a whole because there's so many specific situations that I like, We'll speak on when they come up, but his character is, is a rough one to explain and a rough one to like talk about and a rough one to kind of like try to break down when people like really romanticize him. Just to jump in, I think what for me at least what happened with Spike is he appeared in the first in the second season, sorry, the third season. He was this very comedic villain type of guy like 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 we said in lover's walk he's this is like peak spike he's entertaining he's pathetic he's like angry he's evil it's he's like everything you want in spike and this is what people this is the character that people fell in love with and this is what got him on the show i find the problem comes up when you can't like Sarah said you can't sustain a character like that on a show for too long because then it becomes like okay like what else is there it's only you can only you can only kind of do that for a while so i think for me at least what i love about spike was stripped away from the character as the seasons went on and then he just kind of became kind of unbearable to watch because it Especially, I mean, in season seven, I felt like that was the biggest change. And obviously, it's because he has a soul now in season seven. And 
even season six, but it just felt like they stripped everything away that I really liked about Spike, like the humor and, you know, he just, he doesn't really care about what anyone thinks and he just comes in and he like causes trouble and it's just like his, the funny side of him, the part that everybody loved was just gone. And then now you just have this character that's like so polarizing to so many fans. Um, and I agree, it's it's super frustrating, especially with how much all of that is romanticized as well. Yeah, that's kind of my two cents on that. I think it's hard because I do agree that there's a lot of romanticizing that happens with Spike and his character and what happened. Um, but on the other hand, I love what they did with Spike's character. Not in season six. <laughs> Never approving of that. Um but I love that they had him get his soul. I really like Spike in season seven. I He's one of my favorite characters um, overall, but especially in like season five and stuff, I think he's very interesting and complex. Um, and I like that he has a soul. My biggest beef is not necessarily with Spike. It's more so that they focused um, too much on Buffy and Spike's relationship in season seven and not enough on Buffy and the Scooby's relationship. But I don't fault Spike for that. I fault the writers and just how poorly they spaced out time. Um, but every time Buffy and Spike are on screen, I love it. And I think I really love what they could have done with there, not like romantically, but just like in a respect level and how like their relationship was very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just very complicated. And I think that's what happens when you create a very interesting characters, you're going to get very, very uh, different opinions. I think it's hard because saying that it's not the fault of Spike, it's the fault of the writers. But technically, the writers have been writing everything about Spike for the entirety of the series. So like, you kind of can't really separate the character out from the writers. Like, it's very, very hard to do that because it's like, okay, how much of this is, like, the actor pouring into it? How much of it is the writers pouring into it? I, I think for me, it's like, if we're having to say this character is incredibly complex, but then we're having trouble finding the consistency within the lore because of this character, I don't know that that's good writing. You have to start separating out and go, okay, how much of this are they writing in for this character? Because they're like, this is a popular character. We want to give him more screen time. And how much of it is they're going, hmm, we have a story we want to tell. The, this character is going to do that well. And I don't know. It felt like they were writing the show around Spike versus writing Spike around the show. And that is when I think that things started becoming a little bit more messy when it came to storyline. Um, and that's the frustrating part for me when I watched the show. So specifically, Spike talks about Drusilla telling him that he's gone soft, and that's his reason for why he's back in Sunnydale in this episode. But we find out later in Fool for Love that the actual conversation is because he's in love with the Slayer. So how do you guys think that that indifferent interpretation in Fool for Love, like I want the, the revelation of the rest of the information, how do you guys think that translates and differentiates with the spike we see here in this episode? It makes no sense. <laughs> I hate that they added that. I hate that they added that. Can I just say, and again, I really, I'm not an anti-spike. I'm an anti-spuffy and I'm an anti in how they handle him a lot. I, I don't hate his character. I just think it's like, if we're going to talk about the argument of Angel being quote-unquote predatory, 
like he apparently loved her during this time, but in a convoluted way when she's what underage as well. And this lens is predatory, not the way the angel was. Angel falls in love with Buffy in a pure way. And that's just the lure of vampire stuff. We've talked about it several times, but then it's also like, okay, do people forget that that's like apparently canon? I don't really see that, but they put it in. So apparently he was in love with her during that time. I don't agree, but it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense that he was in love with her during that time. Like, I don't get it. I don't really understand it. Like, I don't know. It makes no sense to the story even. Like, why, why go back all the way back then just to add that little tidbit in at a time where it doesn't make sense for it to even be in? Like, and also in general, like, Spike is not, I, I don't believe that soulless Spike is capable of true love. Like, it's an obsession. He's, he came to Sunnydale obsessed with, but like, with finding the Slayer. Spike is obsessed with somebody who's stronger than him. He's obsessed with power is how I view it. And the Slayer is the strongest. So, yeah. I mean, I I agree and I disagree with you, Leia. I think that every time I, I say your name, I'm so tempted to say mine. Um, because I'm a narcissist. Nar- I was about um, to say narcissist. Uh, <laughs> Youngest no, child. <laughs> no, literally. Um, because I, I definitely agree that soulless Spike is incapable of love. I think it is obsession. Um, I think that his quote-unquote love is always self-motivated. Um, and so I think that you can kind of argue the fact that that's not real love if it's selfish. Um And so that's why the whole storyline of him being obsessed with Buffy in a kind of convoluted way – I think it's a little unnecessary, but I didn't hate it that much because I think that obsession can can kind of drive you and control you in things that you don't even understand. So I think that he you can argue the fact that his obsession for Buffy, he kind of saw it as like just a hatred. Um because I think that we see it right when Spike meets Buffy, he has an obsession with her. And that is, you know, it is hidden by the fact that he hates her and then it turns into this just interest in her and then ultimately love. So I don't hate it that they put that in there. I think it's a little unnecessary, um, but I don't hate it. I think you can argue just the fact that it was pure obsession and that until Spike gets his soul that he was always just obsessed with Buffy. The way the way I see that scene like that flashback in Crush where they're kind of saying Drew left him, whatever – um, there was no like alluding to that at that time. Like when Spike returned in Lover's Walk, like because we're talking about Lover's Walk now, there was none of that that was ever mentioned. Like this was not even a thing that was going on in Lover's Walk. And it just like that scene just feels very much out of place and it feels very much put in there to like give Spike a reason for being in Sunnydale still because at this point still spike is just you know he's just there he doesn't really contribute anything to like the overall like especially in season five he doesn't really there's no reason for him to be there there's no reason that they haven't killed him yet there's no good reason that he's allowed to just roam the streets of sunnydale free why is he still in sunnydale you know what i mean it's just like questions like that like okay he has a chip like why is spike still in sunnydale why does he not go somewhere else? And then I feel like they threw that scene in to kind of be like, well, it's because 
he loves Buffy. And it's like, but (laughs) that makes no sense. The irony of the scene where he gives the speech to Angel and Buffy is that if we're going to go by the lore, which I generally try to because even if I don't like it, it's there. So if they're saying, okay, Spike is obsessed with with Buffy at this point, he's unaware of it. Drusilla is trying to tell him this. Spike goes back to Sunnydale to prove that he isn't. And he gives this speech all high and mighty to Buffy and Angel about how like, hey, I'm man enough to admit it, blah, blah, blah. But yet he's currently suppressing the fact that he actually is obsessed with Buffy. So like, is he actually man enough to admit it? That's the funny thing is when you go back, you're like, he's over here pointing fingers at them, but he himself can't actually admit that he is obsessed slash in love with Buffy. But I also feel like that is such a spike thing to do. Like you really could argue that's a selfish vampire thing to do is sure. to point the finger at everyone but not really own up to your own crap. Sure. Um, it's consistent with spike for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I know I'm annoying you guys because I'm playing devil's advocate. Not at all. And, no, it's know. interesting. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I just think that it's like it is hard because I, I will be the first to admit that they made inconsistencies with spike. But I also think that there is stuff that really does make sense that I think that is harped on a little bit. Not that you guys are, but. I think there's stuff that makes sense. I think people need to be realistic. It's okay to like Spike. I like Spike. But the thing is, is that you have to be realistic about what they're trying to do with Spike's character throughout the show. And I think people try to make him into a hero that he isn't actually, he isn't a hero. Like even this episode, like literally this episode, he's supposed to be this bumbling idiot. And the irony is that he's like actually telling Angel and Buffy, like, hey, at least me, the bumbling idiot, is actually able to admit that I'm just – I'm a fool for love. And then when we have fool for love in the episode in season five pop up, the, it's supposed to be like this epic origin story that's all about Spike and how he came to be. And it actually is, oh my gosh, look at how stupid and and what a bumbling fool he was before he even became a vampire. And the whole reason he even became a vampire is because he wanted to be worthy of his obsession with Cecily. Ultimately, it was for a woman. And so over and over and over again, the show is making a very clear message that this guy is not a hero. This guy just is self-serving. And so I think the hard part with season seven is since they were going the route of we're going to make him a champion, we're going to make him ensouled, there had to be a very clear contrast between unsold Spike and ensouled Spike. I feel like I botched that. <laughs> Sold and unsold Spike. There had to be a difference. But the problem was is that what made everybody love Spike was the fact that he was this cool, well, cool. He tried to be cool. He was funny. He was super charismatic. And we could laugh at him and laugh with him. When he became sold, for the first like quarter to half of season seven, he's very mellow and very kind of like neutered as a vampire. And even Buffy herself was like, no, like I want the spike from before. I want like, you know, the killer. And I think that was the writers recognizing that, okay, like we have to figure something out because sold spike is kind of boring, (laughs) but, but there needed to be a difference. And so what they ended up doing is having him act after that, the exact same as he did before he had a soul. And except they would try to insert little moments be like, oh, look, he has changed. And so what it did is it created this really confusing blurred line between pre-sold and then sold spike. 
versus with Angel and Angelus, there's very clear distinctions and lines. And that's what makes things a little bit hazy and gray for the majority of the fandom. Also worth mentioning, Spike in season five of Angel is like Spike in season four of Buffy. Like he just kind of regresses back to that, you know, annoying neighbor, like just just causing shit and stuff like it's it's the spike that like everyone fell in love with initially and he's back again but this time he's he has a soul but it's like see okay here's the thing i agree but i would argue that i i like that they do that because i think that that is very human to like have that moment of glory and be like yes i'm going to sacrifice myself and then it's like once you live you start to become selfish again because you're like oh i can be and it's like even though he has a soul he's still like quote unquote human even though he's not like he has like a human nature because i mean we even see that with angel like angel has a soul and there's still a couple times where he falters and he makes stupid decisions because he's still struggling not to degree well, sp- spike in season 5 of angel I'm not talking about, like, bad decisions. I'm just talking about how he, like, acts in general. Like, it's just very similar to, like, the old Spike that, like, everyone fell in love with, right? Like, the funny guy, the annoying neighbor, like... I think my thing is, is that if Angel had had another season, I think it would have been great because then we could have seen Spike fully complete that arc of, like, him actually reaching, like, a more mature place. But unfortunately, because Angel ended um we never really got to see spike actually be like you know a hero they he did heroic things but he never really ended as a hero um but i don't hate season five spike i just he just feels incomplete no they shoehorn his healthiness in season seven of buffy way too soon that's the thing is like even when there are sweet moments and there are I don't know, Bange Flynn's will be at my neck for that. But it's like even when there are moments where I'm like, I don't hate this, but it's too soon for me. I'm not at all invested. It's not earned at all. It's not earned for me. Yeah. Like even like that, like that um speech he has. I know a lot of like Bangel fans hate it, you know, whatever, at the end of the show when he's like talking to her and she's like all alone. Yeah. It's like I actually like that speech, but then it's like I'm even still sitting here being like, okay, but like I didn't have time to mourn and to see him like, yeah, he's there for Buffy in a lot of ways, but he also didn't have a proper apology, didn't have a proper like, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just so frustrating. It's just like, it's so tone deaf watching season seven again. Now you're like, Mm -hmm. this is so tone deaf. They try to shoehorn this character that everyone's obsessed with and then just push in his redemption arc super fast and then throw in their dynamic it it's just and I, I don't think this is necessarily what it is but it feels very stockholm syndrome to me in season seven i'm like girl do you really even like him or are you just like trying to save yourself and not face what's going on and then grow an attachment that's to him the biggest thing for me too mm-hmm. in season seven is like i don't feel that, that that's literally the question i like do you even like him for you to be doing and like for for the writers to be making her do all of these like bending over backwards doing all of these like crazy things for him and it's just like i i can't even tell if she like likes him that's like such a good point like stockholm syndrome i yeah that's literally what it feels like yeah the thing for me is it's like buffy and spike's relationship in season six was supposed to be a metaphor for Buffy's self-hatred and self-loathing at that time. So why in the world 
would you suddenly just suddenly switch over to season seven and be like, bam, Buffy's in love or they're in a relationship and all this stuff. And it's like we've had absolutely no in between. Like we're we're not there with you yet. She's supposed to like – she was supposed to be – like he was a representation of how much she hated herself. I mean we we talked about, you know – um what was it? Uh, dead things, you know, there's, it's just like, why all of a sudden is she supposed to be like, I'm not ready for you to be gone yet. So yeah, I echo what you're, what you're all saying. I think I, I wish Bangel and Spuffy fans could recognize that we actually do have one thing in common. And that is, I think all of us can agree that we're not a hundred percent satisfied with how things went down in season seven. Um, and that's completely the fault of the writers. It's the fact that they rush things. They try to shoehorn too much. Um, I personally think it would have been lovely if Buffy and Spike had remained friends and not try to push the romantic narrative in season seven. I think that that would have been a really cool thing to see. I think there, that would have helped yes. redeem Spike's character. I think it would have been more palatable to see him be a little bit more of like the badass character that is sold instead of seeing him like try to somehow be like the same character. I don't know. I just think that there was a missed opportunity by trying to shoehorn a romance into the season. And they they could have totally still had like it could have been one of those things where it's like they knew so much about each other because it's true. They saw the ugliness of both of the other person. They could have had that sort of bond in a non-romantic way by being like, hey, I've seen the worst of you. I have your back. Um, but still take a little bit of time for it to get there. Whereas it was like, I feel like they tried to just like jump straight into the whole like we we can't be close because of our like um romantic past. Therefore, like there's romantic tension still. And so it's just like there's this like all of season seven, they just kind of had this like like um shadow of like are they going to get together and then hints and then like the, their past relationship and then like what are we now? And it's just like – it's just too much. Like there's only 22 episodes. Like we don't have time for this. And also of the final season. Like there's like more important characters to focus on and mm-hmm. important storylines to focus on than that I felt. So what are your guys' thoughts on – so not to like trigger everyone – what are your guys' thoughts on Spuffy's seeing this speech of Spike's as a foreshadowing or a representation of Spuffy in the later seasons? I mean, here's the thing. I think that a lot of media and literature is very much up to interpretation. So I'm never going to tell someone like, you're just completely wrong. Uh, I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. I think that it is very much about Buffy and Angel, you know, I think you can interpret it the way you want it to, and I think you're going to, uh, but I just disagree. I think it's, I, I, yeah, I don't want to say I think you're, I, I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but I'm going to say I think you're wrong. You can say you're wrong. There's very specific things in there that he says describe Angel. Do they describe Buffy? Like, you know, I don't think they do. <laughs> I think there's a difference between using that quote for example using that monologue and saying you know this could be applicable to Spuffy in the later seasons not that he was saying it because he knew that he was going to fall you know what I mean like this was not something that was foreshadowing Spuffy 
I think it's okay if people use it to be like, oh, like, you know, these concepts of, you know, not being able to be friends and everything he says, it could be applicable to Spuffy in the later seasons, perhaps, maybe from Spike's perspective, right? But that doesn't mean that just because he said it in Lover's Walk that he's, you know, foreshadowing and he's saying it because really he's not saying it about Buffy and Angel, but he's saying it about himself and Buffy. Like, it just doesn't make sense that that like explanation makes no sense considering when the monologue is said and like to who it's said like it's it's about Buffy and Angel but again like Leah said like it's all interpretation like if if you're using that and saying oh like yeah I can kind of see where it relates not in a foreshadowing type of way but just kind of like yeah same concepts like that's okay (laughs) (laughs) no I I literally was gonna say the same thing as Leah I agree with Leah like I don't I I I don't think it's foreshadowing whatsoever. I think it's just how you choose to interpret it. Um, sadly, I mean, do they fight and do they shag? Yes, they fight and do they should they shag? They they do do that. Spuffy does, but uh, I don't think like like Leia said. I don't think Spike was like, oh yes, I can see in the future I will be shagging Buffy. You know, like I, I don't I don't think so. I don't I I don't really think <laughs> that. I think he meant it in the time. I think he Spike meant made that. the shopkeeper get out her little crystal ball before he ate her and was like, "All right, yes. tell me my future." And then she was like, "I see fighting and shagging in your future." Yes, y'all going to tear down a building. <laughs> I also think that get it's, it on. I think it's important to note that the writers at this time also did not know that Buffy was going to be a thing. So it is yeah, literally true. unless you're looking at it from a purely like opinion based thing it is purely based on facts this speech is not about spuffy because spuffy was not even a concept yet so it's like Mm. you can interpret it as being applicable to spuffy for sure you can interpret anything how you want but purely based on facts there is no way that this could could have been about Spuffy because purely based they were not on thing. what is actually going on, this is not what's happening. This is <laughs> Spike talking about <laughs> Angel. Like I, that's the thing. I'm like, how? Like, sure, it can describe what happens with Spuffy, but like the heart of it is talking about what's happening with Angel. Like, even if you take the same quote and you put it over Angel and then you put it over Spuffy, you're gonna get two slightly different tints. Like you're going to see the quote slightly different because there's an emphasis on Spuffy on the fight and the shagging part. And there's an emphasis on uh, the Bangel aspect, the fact that you're never going to be friends because you just love each other till the end. You know, with Spuffy in season six when they're fighting and shagging, there was no love there. That was complete self-hatred. There's a lot of – Hating till you quiver. Yes, exactly. I think it would be applicable from like Spike's POV. I was about to say, like, Mm -hmm. this is how Spike views Spuffy, not how Mm -hmm. they mutually view their relationship. Or I think that, like, the whole monologue would be applicable just to Spike and Spuffy. Yeah, yeah, because like the angel part would probably be, you know, like you'll be in love until it kills you both. Yeah, obviously not applicable to Spuffy because you know Spike died and. Buffy smiled. She was like, bye, burn up, baby. I gotta go get She's like, oh, there. I guess that better line time I love him so that he you know, has some happy, happy feelings as he's going. I do have a question for you guys. 
I just kind of wanted to get your guys's opinion. So a lot of the time, I feel like they use Spike as like the narrator, like they use Spike to kind of show the audience what's going on. And, you know, he kind of points out like what's supposedly obvious and, and things like that. But do you guys think that Spike is a reliable narrator or do you think that he is no. unreliable? Because of how he's used the world through his own, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's a very selfish person. He's always looking to see what he can gain from a situation. He's not going, he's not a very truthful person. Like, the record shows that. So, I don't think he's a very, no, he's not a reliable source I feel like Cordy was the best because for a while it was Anya. But even still, Anya sometimes would be. Her uh, lens was a little bit um, bitter at times. Skewed. Yeah, so I feel like I feel like especially season six and seven, they start switching over. But Cordy was the best one, only because like even if she didn't, like if her and Buffy were butting heads most of the time, like I just like in um Demon's party, she was trying to like stand up for Buffy and her boyfriend. Everyone was getting mad at Buffy, so it's like there are times when she was like a little bit more objective, not all the time, but a little bit more so than the other two people that he tried to have. Yeah. Spike is 100% an unreliable narrator. I mean, I've mentioned before, but Fool for Love, Passion of the Nerd does an excellent analysis where he talks about how, I mean, the entire premise of the episode is that Spike is an unreliable narrator because he's literally telling Buffy something that's completely different than what we're shown about how he's always been bad. And then all of a sudden there's William the Poet, you know, and he makes the interesting analysis. He goes, you know, Spike is the one that first brings up the theme to Buffy of death is your gift. Like you desire death. And the the, the idea that it's telling the audience is that, oh, Buffy wants to die when we gets to season, f- the end of season five. But in actuality, is it Buffy that wants the death wish or is it Spike? Because who dies at the end of the series as well? And he literally says, I want to see how it ends. And then, you know, Passion of the Nerd talks about how Spike's been chasing death because it's the only thing that gives him a high, which is why he's obsessed with Buffy and with power, because that's the only thing that gives him that thrill that he first experienced with Drusilla when she killed him, um, which is like, again, highly recommended. It's really interesting. So I think that like, it's just, it's very, it's canonical, like everywhere that Spike is just not a reliable narrator. I really feel like season seven should have been Andrew or even Xander. Ah, yes. Andrew was much more reliable over there. <laughs> Season seven, yeah. He, was. he observed it all. Well, I was thinking of storyteller when it's very much like nuanced. Like he has Spike shirtless and which okay. Well, that's for a comedic effect. Well, no, but actually fun fact. So if you watch Storyteller, it's pretty obvious that Andrew is closeted. Oh, yeah, gay. we all know. If you watch oh. Storyteller, yeah. Yeah, he is. He's so in love with Warren. He's gay? That's why he was like his But it's yeah. not just that. If you watch Storyteller, like you have that moment where he's filming everybody. There's a reason why Spike is shirtless because it's through the lens of Andrew. There's a reason why um when he's videotaping Xander and Anya having their little thing, he's mouthing Anya's words to Xander. Mm. It, he isn't he isn't mouthing no. Xander's uh. words. He's mouthing Anya. So it's like he's playing with Xander. And you see throughout the season, like <laughs> Andrew tries to bond with Xander. Like, he's like, hey, we're both nerds. Like, he's trying to – like, so I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. That was like a whole other tangent. I I always – I always thought he wanted Anya. Yeah, no. He's – go watch it again, girl. He's like – he's gay, gay. (laughs) 
There's no reason for like, because <laughs> I, I mean, like Jonathan made sense because he wanted like a like friend group and he wanted to be loved and seen and all that stuff. Andrews, you're like, it's kind of like when you watch Scream, you're like, Stu, like, Stu, why, why are you killing for Billy? What's going on? Here? <laughs> Billy has a motive. You don't yeah. have one. What's going on? And like that that's how I have you, Andrew. My Andrew, why are you here? Why are you doing all the dirty work for Warren? It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty it should obvious. have been Jonathan in the end, guys. I'm so I agree. Yes. Jonathan yeah. deserved yeah. to like uh-huh. be with the Scoobies uh-huh. in the end. Uh-huh. Jonathan was like an OG. Yeah. Like he, he really was. He sprinkled out and like Buffy saved him. Like there there was just a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. He should have been there at the end. Like I just I don't know. Could you guys imagine the amazing arc it would have been to have Anya sacrificing herself for the little nerdy guy that was teased throughout high school the entire time and to have Jonathan walk away going, why am I still alive? And have that mm-hmm. be his greater purpose. Yes. And it, like it would have made the whole um, what was the one episode earshot so cool. And then oh, have Jonathan that. be the one that comes to Angel in season five and inspires Spike and all the others. Mm-hmm. Like, what a cool arc for Jonathan, right? Yeah, I yes. agree 100 percent Okay. Um one small little detail. It's really interesting to note that Spike's hair is like a little bit more wavy and curly in this episode. And it's very similar to, you know, the whole Justin Timberlake look in season seven when he comes in. He has like the, was it the ramen, ramen noodle color. hair? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But this like tight blue mm-hmm. shirt. <laughs> Not to completely change pace, but I, I really wanted to talk about. Uh, the fact that this is the first time that Willow uses like magic. Yes, let's talk about Willow. Yes, and it was so oh. hard in the non-spoiler section to like try and be impartial. Um, but it's like watching it with a future lens was so crazy because you're just like anyone who says that Willow's art comes out of nowhere. I'm sorry, wrong. They mm, set it up so much, but one. it's like this is literally season three, and she's already misusing magic. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what she does to Tara. Yo, this is exactly, yeah. Like, yep. it's even worse because she's in a relationship with Tara and she does it repeatedly. Like, she wipes her memory and stuff. But, like, it's the same thing. She was going to mm-hmm. take away Xander's will. Like, what ah! Willow did to Tara is 1,000% worse than what Xander did in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered because he actually she actually followed through with a lot of stuff. Which is mm-hmm. disgusting. She altered her mind. Yeah, altered her like uh, like availability or like whatever to like say yes or no to situations. Yeah, like she took advantage of that because if she knew the state of their relationship during that time, that would not have happened. So we talked a little bit before. I think it was in Revelations we talked about this. How Allison Hannigan wanted in season six her her addiction to be to magic and not to power because she wanted that to make uh, Willow more relatable and more sympathetic. There's a theory that kind of goes hand in hand with that, that when Willow does the spell in Becoming Part 2, remember how she like channels that essence through her? Well, if you'll notice after that, like honestly, and just like going to be 100% honest here, Willow has been crappy this season so far. And I'm like not yeah. – this is the first time I've really seen it. And I, it's really mm-hmm. hard – to fully recognize it because Allison Hannigan is so freaking charming. And Willow, you want to like her so much because she's so relatable. But she has been a crappy friend and a crappy girlfriend. She's just been not a great person this season. And I feel like 
there has definitely been inklings of that in season two, but I feel like it's been full force. What do you guys think about the theory that because she started channeling magics um, in becoming Partuna with such a severe spell that it's it changed her and that's it, it changed, changed part of her, her not maybe her essence but i don't know it changed her and that's why she's like she's just becoming more like that addiction is allowing her to be more selfish i don't know i'm curious about your I mean, thoughts i believe it because it's like i think like if we are going the route of addiction it's like people when like people are alcoholics or things like that like they're very different when they're drunk or when they're like if you're like addicted to certain drugs, it's like when you're going through withdrawals, you're very different. Your temperament, your mood and all that can be very different. And so it's like if we do look at this through the lens of like magic being a drug to her, it's like, you know, if she did get her first real taste of it, it could really change her demeanor. Well, there's that too. And like before Willow really, you know, dabbled in magic who was she she was just a little nerdy girl you know that no one really noticed and little nobody and then she is able to start doing all this magic and being more helpful so I feel like it was like a huge confidence booster for her for her and so that's like the same thing with like drugs and alcohol someone who you know may not drink or do any type of you know drugs they may be like this little nerdy geeky person but then when they do drugs or alcohol they're bigger than life they're larger everyone seems to like them so what do they do they do it even more and so I think like that could be the same for Willow too. Rewatching this, I've really seen huge parallels between Spike and, and Willow, especially like how they were first um, before he became a vampire. He was like a loser. No one saw him. And his coping mechanism was to kind of feed into his like the metaphor of, you know, whatever vampire is. Um, because we know that like Angel, his metaphor is like um, – uh, breaking out of addiction and like his is like recovery. And so we know that like vampires can be used as a metaphor for something. Um, and same thing with Willow, like both of their confidences and who they view themselves is through different things other than themselves. Kind of like what we talked about in the non-spoiler version. So like Willow's is like her kind of leaning on how she feels and how she um, views life in herself now through magic, which isn't real. That's not who you actually are. Um, you can't focus on that or like use that as a crutch in your life. Um, and then with Spike with love. I think it's really interesting to note the parallels of Willow turning to magic to solve her human problems. Even back in, um, was it Beauty and the Beast? No, it was uh, Faith, Hope, and Trick. So Willow's like, Giles, I can help you with this spell. Giles, I can help you with this spell. And what's her first thought as soon as Buffy goes, man, guys, like the spell actually worked and she like confides in them. Instead of Willow going, gee, man, I just was a sucky friend. And like, how can I as a friend be better for Buffy? Her first thought is I'll do the spell and that will fix it. And it's so interesting to see her just constantly – go to magic in season three. And in season two, it wasn't magic that she turned to, but she was a fixer. Like once Jenny died, she was like, okay, she took over for the school, but then she like downloaded a few things for Giles and then was like here, like, I think it was in, um, I only have eyes for you when she was all like, okay, like we're going to do something about it. Like Willow was a doer. She likes to fix things in it that inherently shows her need for control, to control her surroundings and her situations, because I don't think she likes to sit with uncomfortable emotions. And so magic just becomes another tool for her to use. And because it is the most effective tool, especially with controlling people, it's the one that she turns to the most. 
you know, I have to say, I find that Willow's arc with all of that, I find her arc to be like super satisfying for all of those reasons. Like she really goes through it. She goes through terrible like moments where she's just really awful. She literally kills a person. And at the end, it's like she's back to being like, she's, she's a different willow. Like, I just feel like her arc is so, so satisfying to me. Um, but it does like that sprinkle of like the power hungry willow. It does start in season two. And there's literally so many little things that happen where it's like, willow likes power. Willow likes being in control and magic is instant control. And I think that's what she wants, like instant gratification. And she got that. She got the taste of magic when she did that spell in Becoming. And then after that, she was just like more, 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 more until eventually it just like overtook her, which I always like. It's just interesting, like watching that happen throughout the series is like so interesting. So, Tabby, you talked about the comparisons between Willow and Spike, which I think is really, really interesting. And they had a, they kind of have a similar arc throughout the series. So, question for you guys. So, Leia, you talked about how you felt like it was very satisfying, Willow's arc, and I do agree. What do you guys think is the key difference between Willow and Spike in Season 7 for Willow's arc to be satisfying and Spike's to not be as satisfying? What do you think is, like, the key ingredient that's missing there? I think you can't deny the moral um, black of killing somebody. <laughs> it's not even a gray. You know, it's like she flays somebody. So it's like when you watch that, you're like, ooh. Um, and I think it's the fact that she chose to be like that and then was very much like overcome by grief, overcome by like her power and magic and such. But you saw her – like having remorse and you saw episodes on episodes in season seven, like season seven Willow is the most raw out of all of the seasons in my opinion. And I've, I've never um, gone through addiction. um, So I can't speak on that, but it's like watching her kind of like the way that she acts in season seven is very much like a, a tiptoeing around stuff. Like she's like nervous and even she mentions a couple times of like she just like doesn't know the line now, um, and her feeling guilty, talking all the time about like what she did in the past, how people are going to accept her or like view her. Like she had episodes in England where she was like going through recovery. Um, you see her scared of herself and that line, and she's very aware of herself in season seven. I'm very proud of Willow in season seven. But Spike, it's not like that. It's not that directorial idea of Spike is not all the same in season seven. I think it's it's more that Willow, like, yes, everything you said. Um, just to add, I think Willow, her redemption in season seven is just very subtle and it's episode per episode and it kind of simmers in the background it's not being shoved down your throat at every turn you know what willow is feeling and what she's going through but it's not it's not like front and center whereas i feel like they were trying so 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 hard to like convince everybody that spike has a soul now and he's different and he's a hero and blah 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 that it was just it just felt like very gratuitous like it was just too much um and 
it wasn't believable because it was just getting shoved down your throat over and over again. Whereas I feel like Willow, it just kind of, it kind of flowed through the season until the finale, which is when I think she ultimately is like, like Willow has like, that's like her shining moment at the end. But for Spike, it was just like constant, constant, constant. And it's like, okay, but why? Like, explain why. Give us like, like, we want like the flow. There was no flow. That's that's how I would kind of describe the difference. Willow and Spikes is like the definition of show and tell in like television. We saw what was happening and witnessed it and understood what was happening with Willow. But they kept telling us Spike doesn't have a soul. Spike is all this. Spike is in love with Buffy and Spike is okay now and Spike feels bad. But I'm like, uh, can we hear it from him? Can we have an episode or maybe a few in between where it's like he's like really struggling with how awful he is? Not the fact that he has a soul and he's like justifying a lot of the stuff because I feel like we got more of that. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, lies my parents told me. Um, but it's like, <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's how I view it. It's like show and tell with between both of them and television. That's a really good point, Leah. I think. The the two big things for me is, I mean, Spike needs to actually show remorse and I want an apology. <laughs> I want to see – and hand in hand with that is dealing with Buffy's trauma. But two, again, and this goes back to my first point, Spike is not a main character. Spike does better as a supporting character. And so I think if they had brought his scenes down a, a lot and raised Giles and even Xander's and Buffy's up a little bit more, it would have been a lot easier to handle Spike's redemption arc because we would have it would have caused the scenes he's in to be a little bit more meaningful. Really honestly, Spike's redemption story and the Spuffy relationship were fighting each other that entire season and they needed to pick one. And if they're going to go with the redemption arc, they should have just dropped the romance storyline completely. And I think then we would have we would have been more willing to accept that Spike actually changed. But because they were trying to also shoehorn the romance in after what happened in season six, it was just too much to have to grasp in one season. And yeah, so I think that's that's a really good answer. I think that's like so evident too, because then you move on to Angel season five and Spike is not around Buffy. So there's no Spuffy. And he's kind of in the background again because then he's with Team Angel and he's not a main character there. And you actually see Spike change and you see him kind of evolve. He gets more character growth in Angel Season 5 than he does in all of, like, Buffy Season 7. And that's because he's allowed to, like, grow in the background and not just being, you know, not just everyone else telling us that he's all of a sudden changed and he has a soul now. So that's, yeah, that's proof that like, that's, that's what would have made it better. Agreed. 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 Okay. So a couple of small things and then we'll talk about Angel for a little bit. So the Watcher's Diaries talks about how the events of the wish Doppelgangland, and then basically the fact that Anya slash Anyanka is present in Sunnydale are all consequences of Xander and Willow's factory kiss, which I think is so interesting. So, so much of season three, because of this kiss, which I mean, obviously stems from like their affair, um, and even Anya, like Anya wouldn't be in Sunnydale. Like, it's kind of weird to think about how the fact that Xander's like longest, most significant relationship is because of his affair with Willow. 
And then um, talking real fast. So again, I know we keep I keep bringing this up, but I just think that it helps give a lot of perspective into the show. But Passion of the Nerd talks about how while Giles is warning Buffy about spending time with Angel, the very next episode is Willow and Xander. And they're talking about how like, oh, we shouldn't spend too much time alone with each other. And it's kind of they're mirroring each other a little bit. And the metaphorical spirit and heart are talking about how they shouldn't spend too much time together as it puts them in temptation. And I think it's so interesting to see Willow and Xander wrestling with something very similar to what Buffy's wrestling with with Angel and how like the moment that the heart and the spirit are snapped out of it at the very end of the episode that's when Buffy kind of snaps out of it and needs and realizes she has to fully acknowledge her feelings with Angel just as Xander and Willow are forced to be confronted with repercussions of their affair. And so I don't know, I just I love things like that because it just gives a lot more significance and purpose to season 4 finale Restless. And then I just wanted to give a shout out to Rob Slay Girl Slay on Instagram because Xander talks about how he didn't do well in the SATs and he tells Buffy, he's like, from the look on your face, I suspect we'll be manning the drive through side by side. And Rob had a really good point in one of his videos where he was talking about how season six would have been a little bit more compelling on Buffy's end if we had had episodes of Buffy working different jobs instead of just the one episode in Life Serial. And we could have seen kind of a parallel of the high school years, except it's the adult years, and it's Buffy trying to hold down different jobs, but she keeps losing them because of her slang lifestyle getting stuck in the way. And it would have been a lot easier to watch instead of one episode of Buffy just working these like really stupid jobs, and then she's stuck at the Double Meat Palace. So I thought that see, was a really good I disagree. Good point. One oh. episode was enough. <laughs> <laughs> I do not need to see her work in anything else. I like that it was one episode and I can skip it when I want. <laughs> I'm guessing you're not a fan. You don't like Life Serial, Leah? I don't like the Double Meat Palace one. Freaking No, Life Serial where she's like working, she does like construction and then she goes and works at the That one's fine. Uh, magic shop. It's, the only one that pisses me off is Meat Palace one. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to watch that Double Meat Palace. That creepy yeah. Old lady. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to watch that one either. Trust me. <laughs> the whole penis metaphor once creepy. again. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like paralyzing people. Ugh. I literally have seen that episode once and it just is not so well with me because it was like the middle of season six and I had taken a break because it was too much for me the first time I watched it through. And it was like me trying to push myself through because I hadn't seen Buffy in a long time. And that was the episode it came back to after weeks of my of a hiatus. And I was like, are you effing kidding me? I hate this season so much. And so I literally have not seen it since then. You're like, no, so no, much. immediately no, immediately no. Bad side off. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and then I don't want to talk about it too much, but just a shout out to the fact that Cordelia talks about getting out of Sunnydale is a positive thing and the fact that she leaves and never comes back to Sunnydale. Yeah, Cordelia. Which I have mixed feelings about. I'm happy for her. I think that was the best decision, but then I'm also sad that we never see her on Buffy again. It was sad that they didn't even like tell us that she like left. Right. I feel like they should have like told us like, hey, Cordy. Like they could have said like, oh, you know, like Cordy moved to LA. There was literally or, was nothing. Like, nothing. She was just gone. He clearly did not care for her at all. And it pisses us off as the viewers. I'm like, well, we did. We did. Yes. Mofo. So Okay, so this is the magic box, at least the outside of the set is, because it's referred to as the magic box, but also the set is the exact same as the outside sets for the later seasons. They just changed the inside a little bit, which I thought was kind of cool. 
I'd like to think that uh, Giles went and renovated it all. He wore his painting mm-hmm. clothes from Band he Candy. He did it himself, too. He didn't hire anybody. Ripper ripping stuff apart. He, Chrissy likes sweaty. <laughs> yeah. Channel his inner ripper. Let's go tear down some walls. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's canon now in my head. It is. All right. So the last thing I have is let's talk about Angel and on a high note because we have to. So obviously, I talked about him reading Nausea. And I think this is such a fun little Easter egg for Amends, which is coming up in a couple episodes because obviously that is the big angel episode. That's the one that he really like starts to – on his path of redemption and is what kind of starts him on like onto his own show. Um, and I love little moments like this because – it's not like it's completely out of left field. He's actually thinking about this stuff. But I'm really curious, what were your guys' thoughts on the contrasts between how Angel and Buffy's relationship is and then how Spike refers to Drusilla and then even later how that correlates later on with season six? Well, I mean, I think the argument a lot of people use if you ask them this question would be like, well, Angel has a soul and Spike doesn't in these instances. Um, But it's obviously very clear that Angel, you know, he puts Buffy's well-being before his own and he doesn't view her as an object. Um, You know, he tells her to go out of town for college. He, you know, he pushes her away because he knows that it's not, them being like together is not good for her. And which ultimately, you know, he breaks up with her in the prom. So it's just like Angel's love for Buffy is very selfless, um, especially in season three. I think we see that a lot in season three, more so than season two, even. Whereas Spike's love is very selfish toward Drusilla. And even even in season six, like it's all just very selfish But again, if you ask somebody this question, I feel like the argument they would use is, oh, well, Angel has a soul and Spike doesn't in this instance. And it's just. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, are you like asking like soulless Spike or soulful Spike? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of asking um, a little bit of both, but I'm also asking too. So one of the things that I think is really interesting when people first watch Buffy and Angel is people view Angel through one of two lenses. It's either, oh, wow, Angel is dictating his relationship with Buffy or dictating Buffy's life. He's making decisions for Buffy. He's taking the power out of her hands. Like people will watch I Will Remember You and say, well, Angel's making the decision for Buffy. And then even in like the whole situation with the college thing, him saying, I think you should go to college. They're like, obviously she's asking and stuff, but there's multiple times where people are like, oh, Angel's making a decision for Bobby, like when he breaks up with her in the prom. And then there's people on the other side that absolutely adore Angel and see him making these decisions because he's actually being selfless and recognizing that this is the best thing. Like he has to be the one that breaks it off and lets her go. Um, and then in I Will Remember You, he recognizes that their calling is what is most important for both of them. Um, and so like I'm curious when you guys hear arguments like that and then watch this scene, what are your thoughts about that? When you love someone, 
you will do whatever in your power that you can do to help them, to make sure that they are the best person that they can be, to make sure they have all the tools they need to succeed. Um, and I think that a lot of the time, Angel views himself as um, something that weighs Buffy down. Not like, like, like he can never give her the life that she would want, um, a life that every girl would want. And so like, he, you know, when he breaks up with her, he tells her, you know, like, I can never make love to you. I can never take you out into the sunlight. I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, you, you know, you need something outside of demons and darkness. And, you know, he knows that all he can really give her is walks in the cemetery and, you know, he can't make love to her unless he wants to, you know, go out and massacre everyone she knows. So, you know, that's him being selfless by taking himself out of that equation and saying, here, I I want to be with you, but I know that there may be something better for you. Um, whereas Spike is more like, I'm going to drag you down with me. Like, I'm taking you down. Like, you need to be in the darkness with me. As with, and that's where I think that the, the two, you know, and then Spike's love for Buffy is very violent. It's not this tender, loving thing, I, I don't feel like. To the argument that Angel is making decisions for Buffy without consulting her and blah, blah, blah. Angel has only ever made decisions that involve him directly as well, that will affect him directly as well. So him breaking up with her is not him taking away Buffy's agency and telling her, you know, we're breaking up and I'm going to be fine and you're just going to be sad about it and I don't care. He's also breaking his own heart. Um, This decision, this is also his decision to make. And I think that Angel realized that he also needed to distance himself and to grow separately from Buffy in order for him to have purpose in his life because he struggles with that throughout season three. Why am I here? Why did I come back? And I think that he realized like, like, this is affecting me just as much as it's affecting her. Same thing with I Will Remember You. It's Angel chose to give up his humanity. This is something that affects him like more so than Buffy, to be quite honest. The fact that he chose to turn back time and to not be human and to give up his only happiness is, I mean, he's not making a decision for Buffy. He's making a decision for himself and it affects Buffy because she's involved. And we do see clearly, I know people say that he should have consulted her first and he should have talked to her and taken, but it's like, but he did. And she understood. She always understood. Like she always gives her like, like seal of approval. She understands why he does these things. And yeah, I just, I just don't see how this is like, selfish of him I don't see how anybody can view him as selfish because to me it's just it's selfless it's selfless but it's also like it's angel like taking taking control of his own agency like he's he's making decisions for himself not for Buffy it's just that Buffy is being affected by these decisions that's how I see it and that's why I think it is he's also part of the relationship you know who wasn't who took away Buffy's agency? Joyce. I'm so mad at her in that episode. <laughs> Tommy really like cannot wait to talk about that scene in the prom. How like how how dare you do that? Like it just like it makes me so mad. I'm like, have you even talked to Buffy about it? No. You're gonna go to the boyfriend so he can deal with it? 
That's sexist. And that's why when she died, I did not care. Oh, Christy. (laughs) Shots fired. She she broke up my shit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Christy was like, you're dead to me. (laughs) Yes. She got her karma. (laughs) Bye, girl. (laughs) The body happens and Christy doesn't shed a tear. She's eating popcorn. (laughs) No, she's like, mommy, mommy. I was like, that's what mommy get. Oh, girl. I like Joyce. I'm just pissed at her in that episode. I wasn't trying to stir some, you know, avalanche crap that's happening. (laughs) Wow. So we know which episode we're not going to be calling you for, Chrissy. (laughs) Like, hey, you want to go on for the body? (laughs) Tabby's like, I don't want Joyce to be unalived. I just don't like this. No, because I feel like Buffy had the right to know that her mom did that. Uh And I I don't know. She should have. I don't know. I don't like Joyce right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that might be the most controversial opinion I've ever heard on the podcast so far. Whew. I thought I'd seen it all, man. I thought I was like, Spuffy, man, we're going to be going deep. Yeah, and then she's all like, yeah. Chrissy's like, Joyce deserved to <laughs> die. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Hopefully that opinion will be whoa. more towards the end of the podcast and most people will not be here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my yes. word! My views that do not reflect the views of becoming. Buffy we put we put the outro before that. We're like, hey guys, so uh, blah, blah. They're like the last minute is just that opinion. <laughs> People log off. We'll come on there and be like, the views described in this podcast do not necessarily represent <laughs> becoming Buffy's views. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, Leah, to go back to what you were saying, you're spot on. I 100% agree with what you were saying. I think that's a really good way to put it. I also – I I don't think this is the strongest argument, but I think there is another argument that could be made. Buffy and Angel are soulmates. You cannot convince me otherwise. The show speaks to that. Period. And <laughs> – thank you, thank you. And so <laughs> because they're soulmates, they know each other in a way that nobody else does. They understand each other. So when one of them makes a decision that is seemingly for I'm someone else – Tabby, not not again. We are not doing this I don't again. Know. I really feel like Spike really understands her. You oh know? my gosh, you're triggering me. <sighs> you and Chrissy, leave leave now. <laughs> At least I'm joking. <laughs> hey, you don't want to hear me go on my Dawn tangent, Sarah. I like Dawn. I like her. The poor girl goes through so much trauma. The girl goes through so much trauma. Can we give her a little break? She's adolescence. She's literally in adolescence. Okay, listen. Listen, I forgave Dawn, like what, guys, what, two weeks ago? Someone convinced me to forgive her. <laughs> Did you but know? But my favorite moment of the whole series is when Dark Willow was like, Mwah, Tara, Mwah, Mom, let's turn you back into a little energy ball. Like, I just loved it. I wanted her to do it so bad. Grizzy. So you know, if she did that, did. though, Buffy would have straight I up did. killed her. Like, actually killed her if she had done that. Ow. No. Willow would have oh, been no. unredeemable. Her. No, Buffy yeah. would have either locked her away forever or you she would have killed her. Yeah, absolutely. Are you sure? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, if she killed Dawn, you're projecting. You if wouldn't Willow care if she killed Dawn. Like the Scoobies, she would, Willow would have had to like leave town and never come back. Just be exiled in like the mountains yeah. of England. Uh-huh. A quick fix for, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> okay, now you have to say it. Okay, I have a lot of midnight thoughts that come across <laughs> my brain. And I was thinking, yeah, 
tonight? Why didn't they just keep Joyce alive and throw her off the tower? Because she had the same blood as Buffy and I 100% can tell you right now you're the only person that's had that thought. Because then Buffy wouldn't have had to die. Dom would have been chill and everything would have been fine. Except Joyce. Talk about taking away someone's agency. They're like, they're going to trick Joyce into going up to the tower and then shove her off. <laughs> but they got over, I mean, not that they got over her quick, but I mean, like, it wasn't like, But also, know. here's the thing, though. Dawn's blood is not taken out of Joyce's blood. Oh, yeah, they made her out of Buffy. Buffy is a part of Joyce, but Dawn is 100% of Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. True. Yep, Never yep. mind. I guess that theory doesn't work. <laughs> Darn. I I do like Joycey. I do. In season five, I just feel like a lot of the time she was so annoying. And I don't know. Her and Dom just. <laughs> she was dying. Stop. There's a lot of people that are dying and she, they're not annoying. She was liquefying. Her brain was liquefying. She literally was dying. She wasn't dying. She had a brain aneurysm. But she had like. she. But she, I mean, that's not to me. You're dying. She died. It meant for her that she was dying. <laughs> yeah, she was dead as a doornail, but <laughs> Yeah, she she was just very dead. Dead dead. <laughs> she was she was dead dead, like in the ground, buried six feet under dead. But like I don't know. Because there was a lot of things about Joyce that bothered me. Oh, do okay? tell. Like for instance, Sarah, I don't know if you will like relate to this or whatever. But if I came home in the middle of the night and my daughter's trying to rush me up the stairs and like, go, 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 go. And then I turn around and some 26-year-old looking man is in my thing. And she's like, oh, he's tutoring me. Like, no. What are you doing with my daughter? Why are you here? Get out of my house or I'm calling the police. Joyce is like, I'm going to go to bed. And you need to go to bed, Buffy. Like, no. What type of mother is that? And then she's shocked that he's been between her daughter's legs. I have a lot of issues with choice. I literally could go on a tangent about her because I don't. I'm just saying, like, she's a bad mother. Like, I mean, that makes her a bad mom. All I'm going to say is to each his own. But yeah, everyone and, is allowed to have their opinions. Some I mean, are wrong, some yes, are right. Some are. And I know a lot I won't of tell you which ones. <laughs> I know some people don't agree. But I'm just saying, her going to like Angel and be like, Buffy can't make that decision on her own, so you need to make it for her. Like, sis, shut up and sit down. Go smoke a drink. <laughs> Go do something. I just can't. I can't with Joyce. I I can't. And when that's why I said, and I, you know, I don't take it back. When she died, Chrissy, you're hysterical. Bye. People in the show still act like Buffy doesn't make the hard decisions. I'm like, are we watching the same show? Buffy are we, can make hard are y'all decisions. friends with the same person I'm watching? She can. Yes. And so like it's what's hard for me is that she never talked to Buffy about mm-hmm. Angel, never had the conversation with her, and then just went straight to the boyfriend. Yeah. Like that bugs me. I'm like, like I, I would have still been mad if she went to like um angel after talking to buffy but i would have at mm. least understood if exactly. she tried to talk to buffy first i would have had more respect for her if she did that like i, I would have had more respect but then it just when she did that that just that sealed her fate with i me. think for me that whole scene since we're talking about it um <laughs> i think that scene was there not because joyce is like a bad mom and she was to stepping on toes and doing all that I think it's it was there to show us what was going on inside of Angel's head and to warn us to kind of tell us that you know this is what's happening now like 
things are not good and they're they're going to be breaking up um is it kind of stupid that it was Joyce that had to do it yes but also I can't really think of another person that would do that other than Joyce so it doesn't bother me as much because I know why they put that in there and it's it's because they wanted to like show us what was going on inside of Angel's head and it's not I don't really see it as like a reflection of Joyce doing this I don't know why I can I kind of dissociate from that for some reason and it doesn't like anger me as much as it probably should I view it as Joyce's use as a plot device the majority of the time, especially in the first three seasons. Afterwards, she becomes a little bit more her own person, has a little more agency. So I recognize that what they're trying to do is use her to tell a story and be kind of a roadblock for Buffy. Um, yeah. So I don't I don't resent her of that, but I do think that they could have done a little bit of a better job with her. Sometimes, sometimes they make her like super clueless, and then sometimes they make her like super – authoritarian, like, no, Buffy, you're going to do this. And it was like, well, if I were Buffy, I'd be very frustrated because you're being, you seem very inconsistent in your parenting. That's not a good parent. But Mm -hmm. again, like they do what they can with the character. I mean, it's parent figures are hard to write in TV shows because especially when you have teens, you have to have that conflict. But then you also, like, if you're trying to write a good parent, you have to like write them doing good things too. So then it's just, it's very, very difficult. And I feel like Buffy did mm -hmm. a very good job with what they had. I was about to say, I was like for, and I've seen lots of TV shows where the parents bug the frick out of me. I'm like, you don't know how, you don't know how to write for adults. Clearly. Even like, like shows that are for adults and then they write children horribly. It's like, for some reason they were good at like one, like age and the other age suffers. And I feel like Buffy is one of those rare shows that, yes, Joyce does stuff that sucks, but I think kind of like what Sarah said, she's used as a plot device a lot of the times. Um, still doesn't mean that I agree with it, but I, I like Joyce as a character, and she doesn't annoy me as a parental figure, which is extremely rare, I've learned, especially with coming-of-age shows. The parents can be so cartoony and so annoying, and the relationship doesn't seem natural and or just like simple. I really feel like Joyce and Buffy's interactions seem very, it seems natural to me. I agree. Well, guys, I think that's everything. Thank you so much, Chrissy and Leah, for coming on. This was really fun, really informative. It's just fun to hear other people's perspectives. It's fun to have Mm -hmm. other people to like bounce things off of. Chrissy, especially yours. Got some spicy (laughs) opinions there, girl. Come back. I will be back. Leah. I'm just Mm -hmm. kidding. (laughs) Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thanks for letting us crash your party. Absolutely. Literally anytime. This is going to be really fun to go back and listen to. And I hopefully use the viewers will have fun listening to it as well. Um, you guys can find us on Instagram, Becoming Buffy Podcast, on TikTok, on Tumblr. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Definitely let us know what you guys thought of this episode. Let us know any of your thoughts on the various opinions that were stated today. What do you guys think about the lover's walk speech from Spike? What do you guys think is Spike's underlying motivation? We want to know from you guys. Um, And just FYI, we will actually be taking a break for the next two weeks for the holidays, for Christmas and New Year's, but we will be back with The Wish on January 6th. So... We hope you guys have a lovely holiday season and we will see you then. Bye.